The hatred of the world, we were actually starting this last week, and we are dealing with different relationships because we've noted that Jesus, in preparing to go back to his Father, is using not only his disciples and apostles, but us also as witnesses for him. We are witnesses for Christ. Israel was to be a witness in the Old Testament for the Lord Jesus Christ, and now not only the apostles and his disciples, but we today, even in the 21st century, uh, who know Christ, are to be witnesses for him. And so in doing that, with him being gone, he's been trying to instruct his disciples in practical ways in three particular relationships we've been trying to concentrate on at the end of chapter 15. And that is in relationship to Christ, where we saw that we had to abide in him and to bear fruit. Also in relationship to other believers, and that is where we are to love, and we ought to have that agape love, not just brotherly love, but agape love one to another uh, as believers in Christ because Christ loved us that way, and we're to love one another as Christ has loved us. And now we're dealing in verses 18 through 25 with the concept of the world. And as we saw last week, it, it hates us. And in saying that, generally let's understand again that when we're dealing with the world, and I took the time last week to show you different aspects of this concept of the world in Scripture, but we are dealing with in this context of the people, the people who represent the thinking of the world, the philosophy of the world, the philosophy of man, the philosophy that's driven actually by Satan. And it is the unsaved world, as we refer to it, the unbeliever, those who are lost, those who are unregenerate, just to use different terminology, those who have been born once. That is, they have physically come into this world and exist as human beings, but they have not been born again, born from above. They haven't had their souls changed in relationship to Christ. And uh, we are actually looking at the perspective in this relationship that the world has toward us. We were told how to have a relationship toward Christ. We were told how to have a relationship toward other brethren. And now we're told how the world will react toward us. And what is it? They will hate us. They will detest us. In verse 18, right at the beginning, they will have feelings of malice toward us. And why is that? <clears throat> You know, let me just pause for a second to set the tone with our thinking with all three of these areas that we're in. It's interesting in the creation, and it is a creation by an almighty God, the one true God, I'm more and more amazed, to be frank about it, personally. When I walk this world that God's given us, and I look in this world to think that people can honestly believe the faith has got to be unbelievably huge to look in this creation and to think that it evolved when you see the details that are in just the human being but also in the world that we live in. But marvelous above all of God's creation, as you know from Scripture, was man. We were created in the image and likeness of God. And uh, it was the pinnacle of God's creation. And that is important even to our text this morning, I believe. Because when we talk about the world hating us, man was created in such a marvelous way with the ability to think, with the ability to reason, with the ability to know his God in a way beyond just instinct. And isn't it amazing how God has allowed man to use, for example, his, in his intellect, his intelligence, his wisdom. And, and I'm grateful for that. 
you and I benefit by the technology. You and I benefit by the way man has been able to think. In fact, I am very appreciative that I don't have to go live in a tent during the wintertime because of the technology and how we build houses and so forth and so on, aren't you? Or that we have a thermostat that we can just change to adjust the heat or the, the temperature, I what I should say, and the cooling of the air and the circulation and so forth. However, when we talk about, and this is important, I believe, when we talk about man, when it comes to the concept of who man is, of who God is, and of who Jesus Christ is. It's very important that we understand the difference between man's wisdom and how far it can go and who God is. You know, in, in, these, in this area that we're talking about, we're talking about relationships and we know that the world hates us. Why? Because it doesn't understand man from God's perspective. In the world that you and I are living in, we see that all the time. And I challenge you on that right away this morning. How do you view man? Our world views man as good. Our view of man is somewhat different when man's left to his own reasoning as to the way God views man. How do you view God there are a lot of people, when we get to that passage at the end here this morning, in dealing with God, there's a lot of people that profess God and to know God and to talk about God. But do they really understand God as he really is? And can they, by human reasoning alone? The answer is no, they cannot. And if they just rest on human reasoning, they will come up with a God of their own creation. <clears throat> and it's the same thing with Jesus Christ. There are many concepts of who Jesus Christ is. There are many that <clears throat> all they have is a birth in Bethlehem and a baby who came into the world. And yes, I guess he got crucified and he was a good man, etc., etc. But there aren't many that have the concept from God's perspective as to who Jesus Christ really is. And so there are a lot of men when left to their own reasoning out of the marvelous creation of God when they just stop with their own reasoning, they fall short of really who man is and who God is and who Jesus Christ is. And that's important to our text. And I do want to turn to two other texts just for a moment. You'll be familiar to, with them, but I want you to understand when it talks about the world hating us. And last week I said it is the people who basically have the thinking of the world and that's it. They're relying on their own reasoning and that is the furthest extent. Intelligence is a marvelous thing, but I just said that. And we can do great things with it. But unfortunately, man becomes so smart in his own thinking that all of a sudden God and, and the concept of God and Jesus Christ and who man really is is not acceptable to that type of person. And if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want you to see two familiar texts to see that so that I think you'll get a better grasp on the context that we are in, as we say a few things this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I just want to read verses 17 to 25 quickly. <clears throat> For Christ did not send me to baptize, the Apostle Paul says, but to preach the gospel, now watch, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would, be, would not be excuse me, made void. 
Watch. For the word of the cross is foolishness. When you talk about the cross of Jesus Christ as being the way of salvation and what man needs, it is foolishness, but watch, to those who are perishing. But to those, to us, who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written and watch. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. We've been created marvelously. But I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Now watch this. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? If that is as far as you go, even you that are in this room today, and you're relying as great as intelligence is, and that's as far as you go, and you've got a reason, and I will say this, listen carefully. I believe it is also the downfall of many a professing Christianity. Christendom. Why? Because even in the many debates that we get involved in over very difficult, there's no question about it, issues, a lot of times, unless we can rationalize or reason it in, we won't go any further. But even the Christian is to walk by faith. And that comes, for example, when you deal with the doctrine of eternal security, or you deal with the doctrine, I should say, of election, which is a scriptural doctrine and you deal with the responsibility of man, too many Christians are trying to rationalize everything to fit into their little, you won't get it, because it's far beyond you or me or anyone else. We simply have to take it by faith. And, and this is true with, with the world's wisdom. Look in verse 21. For since the wisdom of God, or in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Mankind will not come to know God if he relies on his wisdom alone. Very clear. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God has chosen, he will choose the people, but he's also chosen the methodology, and that is the preaching of the word, that which is going on right now. To the human mind, it's absolute foolishness. But to God's mind, it is not. For indeed, it says in verse 22, Jews ask for signs, Greeks seek for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block because of their religion. To the Gentiles, and this is what you get. This is why you get uh, comments by people saying, for Christianity, it's a crutch. Uh, Christianity is for fools. And by the way, that's expression of people that you would know if I mentioned their names. It says to the Gentiles, it's foolishness. But to those who are being called, who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God, watch this, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. One other quick text that you're familiar with, Romans chapter 1. And what I'm showing you again, when it comes to the con, why does the world hate us? Because we are different from their thinking. Why will the world hate Jesus Christ? Because the Jesus Christ of the Bible is not the Jesus Christ that they want to accept. Why is it that they will not know God or that they will hate God? Because the God of man's creation or of man's wisdom is different from the God of the Bible. And you need to understand that in the text that we're dealing with. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I won't read it all. 
but I will highlight a few things. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all un ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, and watch what they do. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, within them, within them. Why? For God made it evident to them. That's why man has a conscience, by the way, and he can't get away from it. That is why when the word of God is preached and no one knows about your sins and whatever, you get convicted when you hear the truth because it is the word of God penetrating into that God-given conscience. But notice this. You jump down. They did not want to honor God as God, verse 21. They didn't want to give him thanks. But they became futile. They became empty. They became vain, what, in their speculations. And their foolish hearts became darkened or was darkened, professing to be wise. And that's what man does. He professes to be wise, but they become fools. And they basically exchange that which is of God because of their own reasoning. And then you get all the sins that are mentioned and so forth in that particular passage. And you can read the rest of it. And I put that right at the beginning this morning because we talk about the world hating us because of who we are, because of who Jesus is, or because of the Father. They have a concept. The world has a concept of who man is. He's a machine. He's basically just like anything else, an animal. That is not true biblically. It has a concept of God, that this may be some God out there, some supreme being. But to accept the concept of the God of Scripture, the way it's presented, and to accept the concept that Jesus Christ is the only way, or that Jesus Christ is more than a moral man. He was a, a man that came and sacrificed himself so that others could have forgiveness and eternal life. They don't want to accept that type of Jesus. And as we'll see this morning, if you can't honor Jesus the way he's honored in the Bible, you can't honor the God that you've created in your own mind because he's not the one true God. So as he's dealing with these relationships, who are we since that's the first one we were dealing with? We are not of the world. Look at verse, uh, back in John now, John chapter 15 and verse 18 and 19. We are not of the world. We've been chosen out of the world, and we've said that already. God chooses us. We don't go choosing him. Now, I know how the scriptures talk about we need to believe and so forth, but you've got to understand it, and this goes contrary. That's why I dealt with it. Contrary to the reasoning of man, that God would choose me, that I can't do something to win favor with God is absolutely abrasive and foolish to the human conscience. And yet, in reality, that's the way it is. But that was our former thinking when we were of the world. But now we've been taken out of the world, verse 18 and 19. We're not of the world anymore. That was our former life. We saw that last week, <clears throat> that we were idolaters. We were drunkards. We were covetous. We were without Christ. We were unforgiven at the time. But now we've been cleansed by that calling. He's called us out of it. We've been cleansed. We've been washed. We've been born again. We've been born from above. We've been forgiven. Or to put it another way, as the Second Corinthians does, we're a new creation. That's why there's a second birth. We've been born physically once. We had nothing to do with it. We've been born spiritually, born again. We have nothing to do with it. God does it all. He did it in his planning. He provided it, and he calls us so that we are saved by grace through faith because that's the mechanism that God has chosen, faith in his word, faith in what he's believed, faith particularly in the person of Jesus Christ. 
But we saw last week he didn't take us out of the world. We're a new creation. Our thinking is no longer the way it was, just the wisdom of the world. But he's left us on this planet. And he's left us here to shine. He's left us here to represent Christ. He's left us here to have a ministry. He's left us here to have uh, a message to preach, to preach the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ so others will come to him. We now have a renewed mind, and that needs to be renewed every day. Listen, because you're a Christian and truly trusting, you've trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, it doesn't automatically work every day that you resist temptation. We have to be renewed in our conscience every single day, be renewed daily. Why? We need to see ourselves literally, you've heard this from me before, as an alien. We are the true aliens, those who have trusted in Christ. What does that mean? We're a stranger. This is not our home. Listen to just three quick passages that use that term. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, you'll be familiar with this, I'm sure. Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 11, listen to verse 13. <coughs> Pardon me. It says this. All these died, as it's referring to Abraham and all the other saints of the Old Testament, <coughs> without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were aliens, they were strangers, they were exiles on the earth. This was not their home. And I know you've heard that. I know you've probably sung it many, many times. So have I. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. But how many of us live that way? Aliens don't see this as the permanent place. And we shouldn't. And we don't want to get that worldly thinking back into us. We need to see this as a temporary place. God owns it all. Owns it all and we are here to satisfy him. 1 Peter chapter 1, put it this way in verse 1. Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside, listen, as alien aliens scattered throughout. That's what we are. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, you read it this morning, and I'm going to be in that text in just a, a little bit. But in uh, 1 Peter 2, 11, it says this. It says, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ uh, within them uh, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. That's not the right verse. I'm in chapter 1. Sorry. In, in chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust. And so I'm saying all of that so that we realize who we are. As a believer, why does the world hate us? You're an alien. It's interesting, right? If you were to look at any of the sci-fi movies, and I'm not recommending that you do, but the deal with aliens, all the way back to the simple, silly ones when I was a kid, that I look at them and I laugh, they were probably rubber figures that were bouncing around or whatever. However, you had these movies, and people hated the aliens. They tried to kill them. They tried to blow them up and so forth. They saw them as something that didn't belong. Guess what? As Christians, we don't belong. And the world doesn't understand that by its wisdom. So how will it manifest it? How will that hatred manifest itself toward us? Watch how encouraging this is. Go back to John chapter 15, and we will see this. Here's how encouraging it is. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will 
also persecute you. The manifestation of the world's hatred for God, hatred toward you or me, is persecution. How encouraging that is. They will pursue us. They will try to drive us away. That's literally what's behind that word persecution. They will put us to flight. The objective is get off this planet. Get out of my face. Get us away. Do everything you can to destroy Christianity. You know 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.12 says that anyone who lives godly will face persecution. You will. There's a test. No persecution in your life? How is your living a godly life? Remember what we saw? If you're going to be a friend with the world, you're an enemy to God. That doesn't mean we don't enjoy the world. I've explained that. That doesn't mean that we don't enjoy the things that God gives us. We are. But this isn't our home. And if we want the thinking of the world, if we want the philosophy of the world, we are in trouble because we will be an enemy of God. If we don't want that, they will hate us. Let me give you some examples. In Jeremiah's life, Jeremiah 32.2, he was shut up and put in prison because he would only speak what God wanted him to speak. Daniel, we all know the story of different stories of Daniel, but in Daniel chapter 6, they were looking at his life to see what they could do. The only place they could attack him was where? In his love for God. And so they did, and he ended up in the lion's den. Persecution. People hated it. Peter, in Acts chapter 4, right after he preached, where did he go? To prison. Why? For teaching the word of God. The apostle Paul, most of you know about him. How about his life? Well, let me start with this. While he was called Saul, he made it his point in Acts chapter 8, and he then said it over and over again in the book of Acts. He made it his point to persecute the church, and he's the vivid picture of what the word means. He pursued them. He went from town to town to basically get them and put them in prison, and he consented to the death of those who said they belonged to Christ. That's what you can expect from the world. Paul and Silas were struck down and put in prison. Why? Because of their stands for Christ. Now listen, persecution isn't always physical. Sometimes it's mocking. Sometimes it's false accusations. You didn't even do anything, but you're being accused of it. Sometimes it's gossip. Sometimes it's because of stands that are taken individually or collectively against prayer. That's happened with Daniel, wasn't it? Let's sign a decree. No more prayer. And if anybody prays to any other God, we'll get them. That can happen where prayer is taken out of schools. Does that sound familiar? Where prayer is taken out of things. That's persecution. The Bible, it'll be taken against the Bible, that there's no room for the Bible. We've got to get rid of the Bible. We can't have a Bible in our schools. We can't have a Bible in our courts. We can't have a Bible here. And it'll come in that form. It'll come with morality. That is everywhere. You can't get away from that. It is in advertising. It is on TV. It is on the radio. For those who listen to radio anymore, there's not too much of that anymore. It's on the iPads. It's on the iTouch. It's on the internet. It's everywhere. The immorality in this world is saturating the world. And it's even affecting Christians' thinking. That's attacks. Those are attacks against the things of God. The question is, how should we react? And I want to spend a minute on that this morning. 
Since the world's going to hate us, how should we react? Let me just and only highlight these quickly, but turn with me to 1 Peter. Let's go to chapter 4 first. I will just mention a few things here. 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> if we're going to be persecuted, we need to know how to react. And 1 Peter chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 2 give us some guidelines. In 1 Peter chapter 4, let's look at verses 12 to 19 very briefly. <clears throat> Since the world's going to hate us, and it's going to show that hatred by persecution, how do we react? Beginning in verse 12. First point, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Don't be surprised. If you're living for Christ, don't be surprised if your relatives, if your neighbors, if your employer, if your government, if whoever hates you. Don't be surprised. You should often we do that. I do that myself. I shake my head. You know, all I try to do is be good to them. And why are they treating me that way? You idiot. Because the scriptures say you're going to be persecuted. See? But we sometimes act surprised. And I was talking about myself when I said that, by the way. Recognize, secondly, it's a test. Look at verse 12. Which comes upon you for your testing. How else are you going to know if you're a true believer? You say, well, indwelling Holy Spirit, of course. Well, whether I'm bearing fruit, of course. God's also going to show you by the testing that you are given. How you stand up. Isn't that why we're told in James that we're to count it all joy when we run into various or diverse testing? It comes in all different shapes, all different colors, and it comes our way. Why? To test us to see who we are. And we react sometimes as though some strange thing was happening to me. Wait a minute. That's for the movies. That's not for this. It's not a strange thing. If you're living for Christ, you will face it. Notice this. Here's a good one. Verse 13. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Praise the Lord. By the way, you joke about that, or I joke about that. That's exactly what happened in the book of Acts. When they come back, they were praising God that they were given the opportunity to suffer for Christ. I don't see too many Christians running around today saying, praise the Lord, I've got persecuted. But they did that in the early church because they were rejoicing. So we're to rejoice in the trials. I think this next one's very important. Look at verse 15. And again, I'm not trying to skip it. I just want you to get the points in a practical sense. Look at verse 15. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Got that? Suffer for the right reasons is what he's saying. Make sure you're suffering for righteousness. I get a kick out of Christians who say, I'm suffering for Christ. All right, let me hear your story. I'm suffering for Christ because every time I'm at work, my boss doesn't like me to preach. You get your job done, well, I, you know, I'm trying, but, you know, you're being paid a salary, and if you have opportunities, fine. But you don't neglect your job. That's suffering for the wrong things. I know Christians who basically take advantage of work and are proud of it. That's not suffering for the right things. Suffering for the wrong things. That's what it says. Don't suffer for a murderer. Don't suffer as a trouble meddler. There are those who are just involved in gossip all the time. And they're talking and they're meddling in other people's business. They're nosy. I've heard that among believers plenty of times. 
they got to know what's going on. That's a meddler. That's a meddler. And then you end up suffering later on because you found out that you're telling the wrong story. You're suffering because you deserved it, not because you're living as a Christian. I know Christians who said, I won't pay you any money to the IRS because they have no right to my money. Really? Is that what we just read a little while ago about being subject to the government that's over you? You're, if you end up in prison, you deserve it. What about those that go around blowing up clinics because, you know, we don't approve of abortions? Well, I don't approve of abortions. It's against the scriptures. But you don't have any right to go around and blow up buildings or to kill somebody over it. You see? That suffering is a murderer. That suffering is a thief. That's what he says. Make sure you're suffering for the right reasons. And what is that? Because you're living for Christ and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Not because you're ignoring it. So we need to be careful on that. Don't be ashamed. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Be glad. What are we to do? Seek to glorify God, verse 16. But it is to glorify God in his name. Verse 17 uh, through 19. Let me just do this. Jump down over the end of verse 19. The example is Jesus Christ. And what happened, the example of Jesus Christ, he committed himself to the Lord. We're going to see that in just a second. We're to commit our soul to God. Even if it means like Daniel and the lion's den, you die. And he didn't die. Even if it means like Jeremiah, you get put in the pit and left down there and they just let you go. You get diseased. Let it go. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. There's the other passage. That was our responsive reading. Verses 11 to 25. How are we to face that hatred or that persecution? Make sure you're suffering for the right reasons. Remember, it's a test of your faith. Rejoice in it. Here's some other things. In verse 11, Behold, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts. If we don't abstain from fleshly lusts, we're not getting persecuted for the right reasons. There are so many Christians. Why do you think we're to hate the world, the lust of the world, the lust of the eye? Listen, fellow believers. This world is saturated with attracting us to its lust or the lust of our souls, and we get caught up in it, and then we suffer. Listen, you see that on your news all the time. There are people in our government that get thrown into jail that lose their positions. Why? Because they're caught up in lusts. And if you as a believer get caught up in that stuff, don't go blame somebody else that you're suffering as a Christian, suffering because of sin. Keep your behavior excellent. Look at verse 12. And I'm going to give you a little side trip of mind right here for just a second. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. I am a firm believer in this. What are you talking about, Pastor Dan? And I think too many Christians are not. Whatever you do, you are to do heartily as unto the Lord. What does that mean? In the words of Scripture, do it with excellence. When you sing in the choir, sing with excellence. When you perform down here, and I, I mean that in the right sense, by the way, with, with special music, uh, with a saxophone, do it with excellence. Piano, excellence. Nursery worker, with excellence. Custodial work, with excellence. On the job as an engineer, with excellence. I believe that with all my heart. 
too many Christians don't live with excellence. It's good enough. Really? We ought to do everything. I don't care whether you're playing sports or cut, cutting a lawn. You do it with the best of your ability to the glory of God. And I don't believe there are many Christians that do things with excellence anymore. But every one of us should be striving for that. Not because we want to please ourselves, because we want to please God. Do good deeds. Look at verse 12. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Isn't that what to do? It sounds like it to me. You look at verse 12. It says, so that when they bring slander to you as evildoers, they might... They may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God. See, even though they're accusing you and they're attacking you, we need to realize that persecution is okay because they had better see the good deed. There is a place for good deeds, folks. And it's found in the believer's life after salvation. We're told in Ephesians, you're very familiar with it, that we are the workmanship of God created Unto good works. That's what we should be doing. Good works with quality in them that's bringing glory to God. So we might get mocked, but they will see our good deeds and they'll glorify God. Do you know, even as you look at the life of Christ, that's one of the most amazing things. That soldier watched Christ. He was there, probably witnessed how they basically crowned him with the thorns and, and scourged him and saw him get nailed. And he looks and he looks at the life and he says, truly that is the Son of God. Still looking at the work. Who got the glory out of that? God the Father did. Through the life of Christ. Submit to the authorities. Look at verses 13 to 17. I'm just highlighting it. And what are we dealing with, Pastor Dan? The world's going to hate you. It's going to show that by persecution. Here is how you overcome. Look at verse 13. Submit yourselves. For the Lord's sake, to every, does he mean every? I believe he does. Human institution. And he goes on to explain it. Whether it's governors, doesn't matter. Whether it's a king, it doesn't matter. Whether you're a bond slave, try telling that one in the world we live in today. And then look at verse 17. Honor the people you like. Not what my Bible says. Honor all people. We ought to submit to those in authority. We're seeing so little of that today. There's rebellion against authority. Whether it be a policeman, whether it be a governor, whether it be a teacher in school. I talk with teachers. Some of you are public school teachers. One of the di most difficult things for a public school teacher is their authority has been stripped from them. They can't have the authority that was there when I was in school. When I was in school, you go home and Tell you, well, I could just see my dad now. Uh, dad, I had a bad day at school. My uh, teacher uh, had to spank me. Oh, yeah? Well, get in the other room. I'll be there in two minutes. Spanking number two. Now, if I even use the word spanking publicly, I'm in trouble, right? So what? The bottom line is, what I'm saying, that authority is gone. And we've witnessed it right here in this community where a teacher had a student running out of the classroom into the street. He lets him go. He's in trouble. Grabs him by the collar, takes him back. He loses his job. No authority. And you know what, parents? Listen, teach your children authority. We have a Christian school. I'm appalled, to be honest, when I walk down the hall and see students just run in front of teachers. Now, maybe it's because I'm an old man. But I, I look at it that that's, that 
student has not been taught at home the right way or the parents are still struggling in teaching that because they're not learning authority the right way. Well, that's what we're to do, submit to authority. How about verse 18? Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle. How are you doing at work? Well, I don't know. i got an unreasonable boss. Read the rest of the verse. But also to those who are unreasonable. And then what do you do? Talk to everybody. You, if you knew the boss that I have or what my boss did to me, that's not a Christian suffering at all. That's a gossip that's not living according to the word of God. Why would you say that, Pastor Dan? He says right there, even when they're unreasonable, for this finds favor with God, if for the sake of conscience toward God, the person bears up under sorrows and suffer, suffering unjustly. That's the way to suffer. Unjustly, yes, you may have a boss. You might need to pray about leaving your job. But you submit to that authority that's God put over you for the sake of God. As long as you're in that position. And even when they're unreasonable, they want me to work all these hours. Well, if you don't want to work for them, find another job. That's what it is. For what credit is there if when you sin you are harshly treated and you endure it with patience? There it is again. Suffering for the right reasons. In verses 21 to 24, just look at it quickly. It says in 21, For you have been called with this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. Now watch, leaving you an example. For what? For you to follow. When he didn't have any deceit, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he kept committing himself to God the Father. Why are you saying all of this, Pastor Dan? The world's thinking toward man, the world's thinking toward Christ, the world's thinking toward God is not favorable. And it won't be toward you if you're living for Christ. It will hate your thinking. It will hate what you do. You'll see it in work. Oh, what are you, too good? You can't take an extra five minutes in the break? No, I have a responsibility. Yeah, and now you're suffering from people at work. Yeah. What about your relatives? Well, you know, that's good for you, but if that's the way you're going to live, you know, or you can't come to this party because you've got to go to church? I've been faced with that one. You know, you're going to go to church. We're having the party at 10 o'clock. Well, you know that I, I go to, we go to church. We're going to worship the Lord. You're going to put the, that before this party with your family? You better believe I am. But Christians don't think that way all the time. It gets down into the nitty-gritty. I'll give you just a personal example. We had situations where our kids were involved in town sports. I'll never forget it. We had a situation where they started moving the games to Sunday during the church service. It was easy for me. I didn't have to debate it. If it was one game, that was okay. When it became consistent, time for me to remove my kids. Oh, well, wait a minute. We'll change the games. Till that literally happened. We'll change them back to Saturday. Well, whatever you want to do, but if you're going to do them Sunday morning, my son's out of here. Gymnastics. My daughter's out of here if you're going to do it all on Sunday during the worship service. The world doesn't think that. They don't care. And unfortunately, Christians don't think the way they should. They think like the world. And they're not concerned about God the way they should be. And we ought to be concerned about him and how much we love him, as Pastor Chris said this morning. He's been dealing with that. We ought to suffer for the right reasons. And we ought to realize that the world is going to persecute us. It's not going to like it. And they will persecute because of Jesus. 
We'll end on that note just for a second, but go back to John chapter 15. Are you ever going to get out of chapter 15, Pastor Dan? Yeah, I think so. But notice again, the slave is not greater than his master, verse 20. I'm going to pick it up here, Lord willing, next week. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Why? But all these things they will do for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. And where it's leading is, why are you surprised? They persecuted me, Jesus Christ says, and they don't even know who the Father is. They think they know who Jesus Christ is, but he's faced persecution since he came into the world. We can expect to do it if we're living for God. And he wanted his apostles to understand that. Why? If you look just ahead for a second into chapter 16, he says the time is coming in which they will basically cast you from the synagogue. They will think that they're doing service, watch this, to God, chapter 16, verse 2. Even in killing them, they will think they're pleasing God, when in reality, they're not. It's the God that they've created. So I challenge you with this, again this morning. First of all, to anyone that may not have yet come to Christ. You will never come to know Jesus Christ. You will never come to be a true believer if you're relying totally on your reasoning. Because if you limit it there, you will only find man to go so far. And man won't be the picture that God presents of man. You will compare yourself man to man, but won't see yourself as bad as you are before God. You will never see Jesus Christ for who he really is. Not only the Son of God who came here, but God, very God, as we've seen through the book of John. And we won't see God for who he really is. It'll just be some God out there someplace. No, it's a sovereign, righteous God who created the universe, who provided salvation out of his love in sending his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way to be in the presence of God, have your sins forgiven, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the only way that God, the Father, provided and you need to move away from that marvelous thing that God's given us, our wisdom, to not just solely rely on that, but by faith to trust in God and his word. Fellow Christian, the world will hate you. Don't try to be loved by the world. And I, as I said last week, you don't go trying to make yourself an enemy of the world. That'll take care of itself. Live for Christ. Live for God, but expect. Don't be surprised by it. But don't be saying you're suffering if you're suffering for the wrong reasons. Suffer because you're living for Christ, because you're living for God, because you want to do the things that are going to honor him, because you're concerned with pleasing him. And then when that persecution comes, rejoice. Don't retaliate. Commit your soul to God. And whatever the consequences are, remember it may be just a testing of your faith to see how far you will go. In some cases, in the case of all his apostles, but one that I know of, at least as tradition holds it, in the case of all of his apostles, they faced death. They were killed. That might not happen in our case, or your case, or my case. But we are called to live for Christ, no matter what comes our way. And if it is death, you have to commit your soul to the one that you've entrusted by faith. And he will bring you through, because you want to please him. Don't expect the world to love you. The world only loves its own. Let's pray. Our Father in God, persecution is not a pleasant thing.
It is not something we like. And yet, Father, it's a reality that in our relationship with the world, we can expect the world to hate us. Why? Because it hates you. Because in its own wisdom, it suppressed the truth and doesn't realize that the wisdom of man is foolishness with God. And I pray, Father, and ask that you'd help us who know the Lord Jesus Christ to live for the glory of Jesus Christ, regardless of what persecution might come our way. Help us, Lord, to realize that we should expect it. And I pray that, Father, we'd continue to commit our souls to you. In order to know how to live, we need to know the word of God. Help us to take the time to study it, to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against you. I pray, Father, if there be any here that have not trusted in Christ, relying on their own wisdom, relying on their own imagination as to who God is, that they might understand the God of the Bible, the one true living God, and that by your grace you'd open up their understanding to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might get saved, that they might be born from above. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.